This show is brought to you by the North Face. Now, the North Face have been my sponsors for the last eight or nine years, and I'm really proud to be involved with this fantastic outdoor brand. Now, they've been in the outdoor industry for over 50 years, and they are the premier supplier of authentic, innovative, and technologically advanced exploration apparel. For your footwear, equipment, accessories, they've got the best stuff. Now, their lightweight and weather-resistant flight series running gear is my absolute favorite. So, if if you're into trail running, if you're into desert running, if you're into just exploring our mountains, then these, this is the go-to gear. And it's designed to endure, engineered to help you through the heat, through heavy downpours, or whatever else comes your way so that you can run no matter what, every day, any weather, any terrain, and never stop exploring. If you'd like to check out their whole range, go to thenorthface.co.nz. <laughs> Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the podcast that gets deep into the psyche of extraordinary achievers across all genres, cutting to the chase to unlock the secrets of their success, their achievement, philosophies, and motivations. Join us in the quest to find out what makes the movers and shakers of our world tick and what gems of wisdom we can learn from them. Now, over to your host, Lisa Tamati. Well, hi, everybody. It's Lisa Tamani here on Pushing the Limits, and thank you once again for tuning in. It's fantastic to have you along. If this is your first time, welcome, and I hope you are really going to enjoy the show. And if you're a return listener, thanks for your loyalty. I really, really appreciate it. Now, today I've got a wonderful lady all the way from Melbourne in Australia joining me, and this is someone that you all know, I'm sure, you, well, all you Kiwis and Australians will know anyway, Cal Wilson. So welcome to the show, Cal. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. You're good. So, Kel, uh, we we met, uh, what was it, a couple of weeks ago now, and we were both speaking at a woman's, a massive woman's symposium up in Auckland. It was a wonderful event. I really enjoyed the day, and you were speaking after me, and I was totally blown away by your, your I mean, you're absolutely hilarious for starters, but which we would expect being a comedian. Oh, the insights that you provided into what it's like to be a female comedian. <laughs> And I use that word very deliberately yeah. and, and what it's like in the industry and, and how your career has gone and, and some of the struggles that you've had along the way. So welcome to the show, Cal. Thank you. And can I say, when you got up and spoke, you were so fascinating and compelling. I was like, oh my God, I have to follow this? Like it was really like, oh my God. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm just glad it wasn't the other way around, to be honest, because I'm not, nowhere near as funny and as fun as you are. And my, my talks can be a little bit more um, serious and intense. So I think we made a good combo, actually. Yeah, we did. We're a good contrast. I mean, like, you run incredible, incredible distances, and I stand still for a living. So we have the direct opposite of each other. <laughs> but not really, because, oh, some of the stuff that you were telling us about. So you've been, um, you know, let's start at the beginning. Where did you grow up, Cal, and, and where do you come from? And um, I grew up in Christchurch, uh, and I lived there until I was 21. And I got my start in comedy doing theatre sports. Mm-hmm. So I had this vague idea that I wanted to be an actor, but I didn't really have any proper ideas of how to go about that. And then I... I did drama in my last year at high school, and theatre sports kind of hit New Zealand, and a group of friends and I got together and started performing, and I just discovered I loved it. Like, I loved making people laugh, um, and I think, like, I come from a family of big talkers. Like, everyone's really good at telling stories and, and sort of being funny in conversation, 
And with the improv training, it just really kind of plugged into that. Yeah, what, what I yeah. love. Like, I love being part of a conversation. I love storytelling. I love all that sort of stuff. And so we started an improv company down in Christchurch called Scared Scriptless, which is still going. I think it's 28 years wow. ago that we started that. Yeah, it's so lovely that it still exists. And, like, Christchurch didn't really have a comedy scene. And then we started doing the late-night improv shows. And then we sort of did a bit of stand-up after that. And we were terrible for a start, but there was not really anything else in Christchurch that was very patient. So... <laughs> We're in this really privileged position of learning on the job. Yeah. So, yeah, I've always been. I've been so fortunate that I've always earned my living from performing, which I don't think is a common thing at all. Oh my gosh, no! It's really, really hard, especially in you know New Zealand, which is you know very, very small, and yeah, um, obviously you've branched out into Australia now and, and hitting the big time over there. Um, but it must have been quite a struggle at the beginning because there wasn't. Well, there certainly weren't many women comedians around either. No, I mean, it was the top twins, and I still think I, I love New Zealand for for loving the top twins because yeah. you know they're, they're quite out there in terms of what people would expect, and they were like I always adored them. I thought they were so wonderful. I loved how bold they were and how how utterly themselves they were. But yeah. it wasn't stand up as as we know it now kind of thing. So uh, when I moved to Auckland, which I think was like ninety six or ninety seven, that was sort of when I started to make lots of friends in the comedy industry, and the sort of women around there, like Michelle A. Court, um, yep. Justine Smith, who were my contemporaries, and, and yeah, but there's still, you know, not a lot of us around. No, and, and even to this day, 2018, you're still probably, what, you might make up 5% of the comedian population, I'd imagine? Well, I, think it, I think it's a bit higher than that, and I'm really heartened by, like, I sat down the other day and, and sort of made a list of all the young women I could think of in New Zealand that, that are doing stand-up, and this. There's a few. It's definitely not anywhere near like 50, 50. It might be like 20%, I yeah. think. But I'm really heartened by how many there are and that audiences have definitely changed since I started. Like when I started out, if I went to a rural gig or something, like a smaller yeah. chap, would def- there'd definitely be a feeling like, what are you doing up there? Like, have you, have you, where's your tea towel? Are you in the wrong place? Like, you haven't got a kettle kind of thing like that. And definitely now people are much more used to it. Yeah, yeah, and and the things have changed in every, I mean, it was really interesting at the conference actually to get a real, you know, a slice of everybody's different experiences yeah. as a woman, and there, you know, there were some credible people there, weren't there, there were, you know, a woman from all aspects of business, and, you know, you know, successful CEOs, and, and all sorts of people and ladies there, uh, people from the medical profession, all, you know, right across the board, and what shocked me was like, because we're probably not confronted on an absolute daily basis with the problems, you don't realise how oh, still long we've got a long way to go as far yeah. as uh, equality goes. And, 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 and it made me start thinking about it a little bit. You know, recently I did a speaking engagement for the fire service, so uh, yeah. fire and emergency over here now. And I went there, my, my dad's a fireman, my brother's a fireman, my husband's a fireman. And so I was really proud to be able to go and go and speak there. And I went and went, oh, it's wonderful to see all these firemen. And I got I got told off immediately, which was, and it really made me think because I I just yeah. said firemen, I just said firemen because that's what I'd grown up with. Yeah, yeah. And I um, said no, it's firefighter. And I was like, oh, I do apologise. Of course, it's firefighter. But it, but I had never even thought about it. Now my language wasn't you know aimed at the obviously. I mean, I'm more yeah. woman doing anything. But it is, that's how ingrained some of the stuff is in their yeah. psyche. 
and when I grew up, I wanted to be a fireman <laughs> when I grew up, and I couldn't be back in the day. Now yeah. we can, and, and there are you know some wonderful ladies just in, in you know, my husband's shift and stuff that are that are incredible firefighters, and you know things are slowly, slowly changing, but there's this there's this massive gap still. Um, yeah. And they're still in that, especially in the in the business world. And, it's, and I don't even think a lot of the men deliberately are doing this. I think it's obviously there's still some of that, but a lot of it's just unconscious. Yeah, totally. It's like it's like um like you've like you've grown up with firefighters, so clearly you have a massive respect for the industry. Yeah. But you've had to think about what being a woman in the firefighting industry is like. So you, you know firemen, so you, you call yeah, them firemen. But then once someone has said, no, it's firefighters, you've totally got on board with, oh, yeah, I can see how that includes everybody. Yeah. I think people go with what they know. I think it's a bit like um, married pronunciation of words. Like, like people go, oh, why do I have to pronounce it differently? Like, I grew up pronouncing it this way. But it's just about respecting respecting everyone, really, isn't it? Like, yeah. so, so rather than push back and go, well, oh, I'm, I'm just going to say firemen because that's what I've always known. You've gone, oh, yeah, okay, that makes oh, yeah. sense, firefighters. You know, and even things like, I know that um, this is something I'm really conscious of, that when I start a show now, I don't say ladies and gentlemen. Oh. Because I, uh, someone pointed out on a, there's a great podcast called The Guilty Feminist, which I really love. It's really funny and it, it, it talks about feminism and it's hilarious. Yeah. And someone pointed out that not everyone in the room will be a lady or a gentleman, that there are non-binary people and that there are trans people who might feel excluded by that. And that might sound, it might sound like being way too over the top and politically correct. But I was like, well, if I can make everyone in the room feel included by saying hello, everyone, rather than hello, ladies and gentlemen, yeah. there's a tiny thing that I can do yep. to be more inclusive. And it is the little tiny things that, that just creep into our psyche that, you know, and it's, it's, it's the way we've been brought up. It's the it's yeah. little innuendos. I mean, I was sitting in a, uh, with a wonderful business mentor of mine who I totally respect and, and think he's awesome. Um, but he said, oh, well, I never, never uh, employ women in the menopausal stage because they're a pain in the ass. And I, and I was like, flawed. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, I, um, and he said, well, from a, from a purely financial point of view, you know, if they're, if they're either in the childbearing years or in the menopausal years, they're just gonna, not going to be at work all the time and they're going to have trouble. Oh, and yeah. I was like, ah, <laughs> ah, what do I say? How do you, how do you, you know, yeah, like, and do, you, do you in that situation go, you do realise I'm one of those things that you don't like? Yeah, like, I'm in that age you know, you, for a past, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, like, it's completely unconscious that that, was, that, that, is, that is what's holding us back. You know, yeah. it's, that, it's that subconscious level. Well, she could have a baby, so I'm not going to employ her. You but know? also, she might have a baby. She might have a partner who's going to stay home and look, look after that kid. You know, like, it's like... um. My husband has been the primary care of our son for the whole time that wow. my son's been alive, wow. and which is amazing. He's, he's great. But what we both find is that when I go away on a work trip, everyone goes, oh, who's looking after your son? To me. Yeah. He never gets that. He still works um, from home, but he never gets asked who's looking after our son when he's away. No. And when he's out with our child, especially when he was uh, much younger, Everyone would be like, oh, you're babysitting today. It's like, you can't babysit your own child. You're parenting a child. And also, it shouldn't be like this fantastical odd thing that a man is able to look after a baby. Like, oh, And this is, this, I mean, I, so, I love um, Jacinda Ardern. I think, you know, what, what, what she, you know, what she's 
God and done, like having a baby, obviously, I mean, I, I take my hat off to her. How the hell you do that? I don't know. Be the Prime Minister and be a mum. But I think it's absolutely fantastic for society because it's, and, and, I, and I actually haven't, and I expected to hear a lot of negativity in the press and, you know, lots of people moaning about, oh, she's gone and got pregnant while well, she's, you know, but there hasn't been. There really, ha- well, not that yeah. I've heard. Uh, I've, I've, seen a, I've seen a few sort of, um, well, she doesn't know what she's in for kind of thing, but it's also, she's not raising it, raising her daughter on her own. You know, she's like, I think she said she's got a village. Yeah, and she's aware, like she said, like I'm in a privileged position, I can get help and she's got, her man's going to be the primary caregiver, etc., etc. You know, and she is in a privileged position, I mean, for sure. But she's also got a hell of a lot of responsibility on her shoulders. And, and I, I just think it's, it is ushering in and speeding up the process of people thinking differently and changing yeah. the way we, we, we approach things. And it's it's not even just the guys that need to change. It's us that need to change with it, you know, especially yeah, totally. that we are okay to, to be, you know, equal and, and to... I mean, I've always, in, in my line of business, if you like, uh, in the sporting realm, and even in my, my professional realm, I've always been in the minority, like you. <laughs> always yep. in male-dominated sports. Um, and the funny thing is with ultramarathons is that we, we often are at the top of the podium on the super long races, which is really cool. And so in the ultramarathon world, women are, like, totally respected. Because uh-huh. there is, like, there is no, like, oh, it's the women's race, yeah. you know, or the women's division. This is like we usually and quite, well, quite often the longer the races beat the guys, uh, and so it's a it's a ranking of you know on equal footing if you like. I mean, there's obviously some great fantastic men um, doing the ultra scene as well, but it is often that a woman's standing right at the very top, and it cha- it's, it's a it's a different perception I think because you're no longer, it's not all about muscle power, it's not about uh-huh. speed, it's about how long you can hang in there, how much suffering you can deal with, <laughs> how long you can stay awake, how, you know, or how much, uh, how, how efficiently you can burn fat, all those things that we actually do really well at. Yeah. And um, so it, it sort of is, is an unusual sport that it evens the playing field uh, yeah, considerably, yeah. which is really, really cool. Oh, Yeah. I've got my mum here with me for everyone else who's listening and wondering who the heck that is chiming in. How are you doing today, Mum? I'm fine. <laughs> so mum was starring on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Yes, and I did enjoy it. You did enjoy it. You've got to get used to it because your book's coming out soon and she's going to have to oh, get wow. used to being interviewed and so on. Hey, mum. <laughs> she's got a new career in her older age. That's brilliant. <laughs> and yesterday she started a computing course, which is really cool. So she's gone back to Polytech. So and I, I can't do anything on computers. <laughs> so she's scared shitless, really. Yeah, I, I am. <laughs> I don't really understand them at all. But that, you know. you're challenging yourself, and that's yeah. the the thing. So, Carol, let's go back to you and, and what you've been doing lately, and, and what are the, some of the things that you've come up against in your career as a as a female comedian? Because we hate that word. <laughs> I think, um, like, what you're talking about, how there's a different perception of, of women in ultra-marathons, what I've found is, in my career, because there are so few of us, I think, and I, I'm guilty of this, I was guilty of this as a young woman, is that I would often be the only woman in the room, like, I'd be the, I'd be the only woman on the bill, or, um, and I'd be complimented, like, oh, you're not like other women, you're much funnier than other women, and I was flattered by that, rather than going, okay, I'm in the room, I need to help other women get in the room. Amen. Yeah, like, like I think 
I think that's also changing now. Like I'm really aware of that now is that if I can if I can help another woman out, like if I can suggest another woman for a job, then that's such a great, exciting thing for me to do. But at the time I was kind of like, oh, I'm special because I'm the only woman as opposed to going, oh, no, no, I'm special because I'm funny yep. and I'm a woman. But, but I think when you're praised for being yes. an anomaly or an aberration, like you kind of cling to oh. that that. I can totally relate to that. Yeah, yeah because, because you know, I remember you um, at the talk you were talking about. You, you did a, an ultra marathon. And you were hoping to be the first yeah. woman to win the title, and you were the second woman to win the title, which is still fantastic. But you also just won the title. You know, like yes, yeah, and 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 I, and I, and I was doing that. I was expecting to go over, and there would be no other woman, and I'd yeah, do was finish. <laughs> But and I and I've come across that often too, where I've been complimented. Oh, you were you're not like other women. You're accepted yeah. into the boys' club because you're yeah, real right. cool. And 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 you do like when you're younger, especially you take that as an absolute compliment. You're like, oh, I'm one of the boys. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and it's like the it's like the professional equivalent of um, a guy saying to you, "I like you because you're not like other girls." Yeah. When really, what that saying is, I don't like girls. You know, like um, backhanded. Yeah, it's a total backhanded compliment, and it really restricts you. Like I, like, I remember feeling threatened if there were other women around, and now I'm like, oh, it's so great to have different points of view, you know. Yeah. So, because everybody brings something different, and also, if there's just one of you, um, you are called on to represent your entire gender as oh. well. So, so if you make so, a mark-up, you make a mark-up for the entire woman population yeah. of comedians. Yeah, so like, and, and I talked about it at the conference about how if there's um if there's a panel show like a TV panel show and there's six comedians on that panel show and only one of them is a woman, you are then therefore representing all women. And if you don't have a good gig or it's really hard to get in because like there's a kind of a, oh, a, yeah. a boys thing happening, yeah, I just think women aren't funny. Like yep. you like you are representing everyone, but if there's two of you or three of you, you can see that our oh, women are all different because they're people. And you're not you're not seen as like the the token woman who has to yeah, has absolutely. to be super double as good as to be considered half as yeah. half as good. And, and there is that, that boys club thing in the comedian scene. From what I can see from the outside, is it must be quite hard to break into that that banter. Yeah. Are they also more cautious around you? Like you know, a little bit scared of what they say because I mean, you must walk a tightrope sometimes because you know you, 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 these are adult shows. They've got a lot of adult yeah. content and do you walk a, a, a difficult line sometimes with that well, probably such a weird thing like it sort of i think it views itself as the wild west you know like there's there's no hr department um <laughs> your 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 workplace is a place where everyone else is socializing so you know like it's in a pub or it's a theater and everyone else is having a night out but you're at work yeah there's usually alcohol involved so it's kind of got all these blurred boundaries and things and Everyone is getting no one is no one is um like you're not all working for the same company like you're all working for your own company so it's not like everyone's like oh we want to promote uh, equality and feminism or you know some people just want to get gags and so people you have comedians on stage saying things that you absolutely disagree with yeah you know they might be misogynistic or racist or something like that and then you have to get up and sort of present your company as well so it's a weird. So how, and, and do you get like, oh, you know, accused of, oh, you know, did you, you know, by being on the same panel, are you approving of the content? Yeah, so, like, that's something I think about. It's like, am I, 
am I kind of condoning this? And like, I absolutely believe that comedy should not be censored. I absolutely believe that every topic is is able to be looked at in comedy. But I also, for myself, go, is what I'm saying making the world a better place? Like, oh, it's, yeah, yeah. I love it. Is what yeah. is what I'm saying is what I'm saying making life a bit shitter for someone else? You know, like if I if I joke about if I, if I make a racist joke, if I make a joke about date rape or something like that, am I am I making someone's night and life exponentially worse yeah. by, you know, like I, was, I did gig recently, we had a Q&A with the audience and they, um, people were asking, the, the questions we usually get are, what's your worst gig um, and is political correctness ruining comedy? And there was a guy in the audience who was very angry about political correctness and he was saying, you know, Billy T used to make jokes and, and um, they were great and now everyone's too scared, everyone's too politically correct these days. And my point was, I think political correctness is just being aware that there's more than one point of view in the room and that not everyone is a straight white guy and that that if you walk out of the room at the end of a gig, so like two hours, if you if you walk out and you've had hundreds of people laughing at who you are right, yeah. or, or denigrating you, then then that's a, ter- that's a terrible thing to do to someone. Like, I hope this is making me sound very uh, uh, sort of uptight and prudish, but I just think that that comedy is a really comedy can be, be an amazing weapon, but you have tool. to you have to look at who you're aiming at. Yeah, and it is a powerful tool, and it is a really I, I can imagine that being a really hard tightrope walk because you don't want to be so uh, you know politically correct that you're boring as shit. I yeah, mean, yeah, you totally. don't you don't want that. We want adult things. We want things to be funny. Yeah. We, you know, we've all we've all grown up, so we can have a laugh about things. But you're damn right that if you go and make somebody feel less than everyone else yeah. because of their gender, their sexuality, their whatever they are, their size, their body shape, their their race, yeah. all of those things can have massive, massive impacts on on people's psyche and their self esteem and um, they can feel bullied, they can you know, so there's it's just being a little bit sensitive and, and yeah, getting away with, with with funniness but not at the expense of somebody. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the thing is like, you know, like I've started and only over the last couple of years really because in the past I've been like, oh, I don't want to offend anyone. But now I've started to talk about stuff that is a bit tougher, you know, like the kind of Me Too movement and, and you know, and talking about calling out people who are who are not behaving the right way, you know. And that's, that can be challenging. But I think if you can if you can make people genuinely laugh and you can do it with a light enough touch, then, yeah. like, comedy is a really great way to teach people things. Like, yeah. so, or even just to think about something in a different way. Like, I talked about, uh, last year on my show, I talked about um, about watching my son kind of lose his trust in the world when he got mocked for wearing rainbow face paint. He's wearing a rainbow butterfly's face paint, and this other boy mocked him for looking like a girl. And so I was just sort of talking about how that felt and how I told off another person's child and how, you know, how dangerous <laughs> that is. Um, but it was really interesting. I got lots of responses from people talking about that and, and – um, uh, also, I talked about like there's still. I mean, it doesn't happen in New Zealand, but in Australia, it's still an issue with blackface. Like people still black up as a joke, oh, really? and yeah, which is just ridiculous. Like there'll always, there'll always be some footy team or some some night out where someone's blacked up, and then they're all outraged that everyone's so furious with them. And my thing is, even if you cannot understand how offensive that is, enough people have said you are causing me pain. That why don't you go? I don't okay. get it but I understand that I'm hurting you, I'll stop oh, doing stop. it. Like, it's just that issue of respect, you know, and, like, it's, it was really exciting last year. I had someone, um, a friend say, oh, I overheard a guy go, you know, I reckon she's right about blackface. And I was like, 
there's like that's one guy, but you know, has <laughs> made a tiny impact on someone who hasn't thought about something. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and what do you? I mean, you told some really funny jokes. Some um, about oh, what was it? Some some person's word for you know your lady bits. Um, oh yeah. I, yeah, that that was that was really funny. Tell that story a little bit. Oh, so I, I, talk, I talked about how I really hate being called a female comedian because yeah. I'm a comedian, um, and also I find female a really animal word. So like I, I don't um, like I don't like to be called a female. Like I'm a woman. Yes. And I hate it when you hear people talk about men and females because it sounds like we're the breeding stock. <laughs> uh, so, like, I much prefer to be called a woman. Um, I don't mind. Uh, you know, female is an adjective that's fine, but as a noun, it's just really weird. Yep. But also, I don't like female comedian because the time I most often hear it is in the phrase, I usually hate female comedians, but you are quite funny. Yeah. <laughs> Which is something that all of us get. All of, all of the, the women who do comedy get that, that compliment. And so my joke is just that, I should take it as a massive compliment that it is because what that guy's been saying to me is I still laughed even though I could barely hear you over the sound of your vagina. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just talk about what sound it might be making for it. Um, so, which I really enjoyed. I love, I love, um, I love kind of dancing around that stuff and making yeah. it something funny because it is something that genuinely drives me crazy. Like I had a woman come up to me after a corporate recently and she's very drunk and she goes, the thing about female comedians is, and I was like, well, this is not going to go well. It's like, it's not, it's a bad this start. is not a great start to a sentence. She goes, the thing about female comedians is they always talk about their giants, and you didn't talk about your giant. And I was like, all right. And I'd literally told that joke and given a whole lot of, you know, like I'd talk about my vagina on stage. Uh, I was like, you, you didn't notice because it was funny, but also you're not a woman. Don't call it a giant. Like, it's a terrible, it's a terrible word for a woman in their thirties to call a part of her anatomy. So just like, yeah, it's just kind of um, make it, you know, the point of comedy is to make something positive out of yeah, and, and to bring home a point without destroying someone else. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and making a laugh out of it because that, that is. <laughs> I still don't know what sounds Johnny's make, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's really funny. So what are you up to now, Cal? What have you got in the pipeline? I mean, we see you often pop up on TV over here in New Zealand, and um, what have you got sort of in, in your gig horizon? Um, I'm actually about to go off to Asia to do a couple of weeks um, doing gigs in Hong Kong and Singapore as part of the Melbourne International Comedy Festival Roadshow. And wow. the Roadshow is this fabulous thing that happens after the comedy festival every year. They send off two kind of tours, and uh, they go all over Australia into all of the tiniest towns and, you know, right from the one end to the other of the country. And it's just branched out into Asia as well. Oh, wow. And so it's an incredible way for us to see the country. But it's also really lovely to go to these – like, I've seen so much more of Australia than I ever would had I just been trying to do it off my own bat. You go to these places and you kind of get a glimpse into really different lives, you know, like mining towns or um, – yeah you know, beautiful tropical places and, yeah, like kind of barren, barren, you know, like just amazing, amazing things. And so it's my favourite time of year because you spent, you just spent, the, the thing about doing comedy is like the, the, the biggest part of our year for comedians in Australia certainly is the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, which happens sort of um, March, April. And so you spend a month doing your own show. And so there's just you on stage for an hour, you talk for an hour, you do it every night for a month. It's, it's intense. It's really, uh, it can be really rewarding and it certainly makes you a better comedian. But it can be really lonely because 
it's just, just you then. Like, if you're not an ensemble, you're it's just no. you, and there's there's only your tech who knows what your night was like, sort of thing. So some nights you might have an incredible show, but you can't really express how great it was, and other nights you might have a complete disaster, <laughs> and you you just can't express how awful it was in the moment. But then when you go on road show, you're suddenly with uh, five other comedians. Yep. You're all doing sort of about twenty minutes each, so you go from being so tired of the sound of your own voice, yeah. playing the same words for an hour, and then you, you go on roadshow, you've gone to somewhere amazing, you've probably ridden a camel that morning or something, because you always <laughs> try and do an activity <laughs> wherever you go, and then you get to stand at the side of stage and watch these other people be brilliantly funny, and you hear someone else's material, it's not your material, and then you're all there for the gig, like, so you can go... Oh my god, it was amazing! Or you go, oh, they are completely fucked. They were awful, you know. Like they've all got the excuse me, Isabel. Um, they've all <laughs> She's got heard it before. <laughs> She's got two sons. Just that sharing, sharing. Yeah. Um, I mean, it must be the same for you, Lisa. Like you, you. Oh yeah. Do ultra marathon things, but that there can't really be anyone there having the same experience. No. As you. No, and it's a very—I mean, it's a very lonely sport, art. But even in the speaking, because I, you know, do a lot of lot of speaking yeah. sort of back to back, and and you do get sick of your own voice, and uh, it, it's really like I, what I, what I find hard about it is that I don't think people realise how much how much of a state you have to get yourself into to to be a good speaker or to speak well. Yeah. I I can't just people go, oh, well, are you still nervous? And I'm go, Hell yeah, every single yeah, time. Yeah. Because I, I never know what the audience is going to be like. I don't know how I'm, because none of mine's rote learned. It's all just off the cuff, whatever yeah. I feel is right for that audience and whatever the themes of the conference is. So it's, in, in that way, it's quite impromptu. I mean, there's a bit of yeah. a, you know, a, a, an outline that I usually sort of follow. But, and so it, it's a really intense experience. And I have to sort of like from the morning onwards, if I'm speaking at night, I'm nervous. I'm, I'm, I'm oh, yeah. full of energy. I'm, you know, I've nervous energy. I'm, I'm trying to keep a lid on it. Uh, and then, cause you know, at that, at that, that moment that you're introduced, you're on. Whether you're yeah. feeling on or whether you're not feeling on, you're on. <laughs> and that yeah, can be yeah. quite high pressure, isn't it? Really, yes, it's high pressure, but I think it's really important that you stay nervous. Like, I still get nervous before gigs because if, if you're not nervous, you're taking it for granted yes. and you're walking out there sort of unprepared and unprotected. So, as you say, you never know what the audience is going to be like. You don't know what's happened in the audience before you've come on. No. You know whether the seats are uncomfortable or the music was too loud or the lights are up too high or the sound is bad. Like, there's, exactly. there's a whole lot of factors that go into it, whether someone's said something before you that's really annoyed everybody or whether someone's just smashed the room and everyone's like, well, I'm done, I don't need anything else. You know, like, there's all these things that um, that come into play. Yeah, and then you, you have to get out there and kind of... Control like, the audience, yeah. Yeah, I always, I always view the audience as an animal, like, like, to me, the best audiences are the audiences that just feel like one beast. Right, so they're they're all one beast watching you and responding to you and laughing or listening or whatever. As one, but when it's fragmented, it's yeah. really hard to control that beast. Like because there's like little pockets off to the side, or there's some drunk people texting, or you know all that kind of thing. So you always you've always sort of like a, not really a lion tamer, but you're, you've always got to you've got to push. Push the audience and feel the audience push back. You've got like it's a real oh, it's play between fluid. you. I'm so glad to, to actually interact with you and then talk to you about that because I, I you know, I, I'm doing that too. And I, like, I'm an extremely sensitive person. I mm-hmm. pick up every vibe in the room, 
And, and what people don't realise, when you're on stage, you can see every single person. Oh, everything, And everything. if there's a bloke snoring in the back row, you, yep. he, he's putting you off, you know? Yeah. It's, it's really common, um, like we were talking about, how we have the 150 people in a room and everyone's laughing, but there's one guy with his arms folded yep. and he will be the guy to focus on yep. and, and feel, oh, the gig was a failure because uh, old Bordy over there wasn't. wasn't exactly, exactly. Um, or there's somebody sleeping in their coffee yeah. over there and, because it's after lunch or something. Or um, what, what I find quite difficult too, and you must get this a lot, you know, especially doing night gigs, you know, people who are drunk. Um, yeah. and hecklers from the the crowd and stuff and i mean i, I you know corporate gigs are, are, are a lot easier but nighttime gigs when you're at a rugby rooms or something and you're you're talking that can be quiet and you've got to be able to play and, and be funny and i'm not a comedian i'm you know yeah. i've usually got some serious things that i'm trying to get across yeah so that's quite a hard combination when you've got you know, the the organisers have put you on as a motivational speaker at 10 o'clock at night when everyone's drunk, you know, it's yeah, really yeah. not the best it's, time. It's really <laughs> interesting. Like, I did a gig a few years ago, and one of the worst gigs I've ever been at, it was a corporate gig, uh, it was, I think, insurance people, and it was uh, basically what they wanted to do, it was a big AGM for everybody to get together, and they just wanted to get drunk and shout at each other, like, that's all they wanted to do, which is, if that's what you want to do, that's great. But the people organising it had decided to put comedy on and they decided to get a motivational speaker as well. And <laughs> oh, the, the, cool the room the rooms set up is really important too. Like these, yeah. are, these are kind of the invisible things that people don't think about. No. But if you're up on a stage and there's a massive empty dance floor in front of you, it's really hard to connect with the audience. Totally. Um, people, are, people are eating, their focus is not on you, they're making noises, the cutlery is noisy, they're going, oh, the chicken's delicious, I don't like the fish. So they're... Yeah,focus是gone。And you need you need to have that focus to have any chance of success。And so this this gig was like it was big round tables. They'd been drinking since four. No one cared that anyone was talking. I ended up coming off the stage and just standing on the floor in front of the table because it was the only thing I could do to
drunk as skunks and just yelling at each other. And there was this amazing yeah. opera singer on the on the yeah. stage, and I was terrified because I was thinking, I've got to get up and motivate these people. They don't give a damn about anything right yeah. now, except how much beer they can tip down your throat. And and it, I think it was Marcus. He Marcus went up and, and he just said, "No, nah, you're not going on there. I'm not letting you out on that because that's just ridiculous." Right. And he and he got the he got the uh, you know the poor opera singer who was a, a real class act, and it was yeah. just so beneath his dignity to be exposed to that sort of thing. And the whole you know they just canned the whole entertainment and it just turned into a big drinking yeah. fest. But and and you know things like that, they people just aren't aware you know of how yeah, yeah. hard it is to control a room. When you're, you know, when you've got people in that sort of state, um, and it, it, I think that you know, people doing organisation would do well to talk to people like us about what yeah. makes a successful event and how you can actually help the whole thing go smoothly and what order yeah. to put things on. Yeah, the, there's things like um, the way you like. I, I have a thing is I, I won't go on if people eat it, like mm. which sounds terribly precious, but no. actually it just doesn't work. If they're eating it, doesn't work. So I have a stipulation that I won't go on while while the evening meal is being served uh, or plates are cleared because, again, it's that noise and that distraction. Yeah. And there's also, um, I remember when we used to do improv at corporate gigs in New Zealand, we had a bit in our contract that said we wouldn't go on after half past ten at night because, like, yeah. if things can run late, and that's understandable, but once it gets to half past ten, everyone's had too much to drink. Yes. They don't care. They, they won't miss it. They won't remember it. But if it goes on, it's just, it's just horrendous for them. I'm going to make those a couple of rules in mind too, actually, because, you know, yeah, a few times when I've, I've tried to talk them out of having the dinner during my speech and stuff, yeah. and it hasn't, I've got one next week, and I've said, look, I, I do the dinner first, or, or, you know, this is a lunchtime one, but it's still, it's so distracting if someone's sitting there eating their sandwich and you're trying to motivate yeah. them. It just does not work where you've got wait staff coming in and out. Um, and we've gotten totally off topic, really. <laughs> <laughs> but totally fascinating for me, um, and I think also for those listening, you know the sort of dynamics that go on yeah, and these sort of definitely. things. Yeah. Um, so you've got uh, this roadshow coming up, and you're going to be going yeah. through Asia. How exciting! What's it like yeah, traveling yeah. with all these other crazy guys and girls? Oh, it's great! It's so great because we all have this. We all have this shared love of comedy, so we have this thing in common already. And what like one of one of uh, any comedian's favorite things to do is to share horror stories with each other. Like, so yeah. we, we, it's, um, <laughs> I, I love I love a gig horror story, you know. So I'm I'm like so the terrible ones that I've had, you know, I've got great stories out of them. <laughs> yeah. And everyone's kind of up for what we, you know, like so in New South Wales last week we visited a koala hospital and adopted a koala and we went, you know did a camel ride and you know just all that kind of like you get to be tourists but you're doing a job. So. Awesome. And you get to hang out with some pretty cool people. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's kind of a, um, I'm sure this is the same for you in your industry. Is that you have these friends that you see for a brief period of time, at like a comedy festival, and then you go somewhere else in the world yeah. and there as well. Like so, you see each other again at night, some other country in a bar, kind yeah. of. <laughs> so the, the like there's a lot of us, but the community, like you know, I have friends that I see again and again and again, like whether it's in Melbourne or Edinburgh or London or awesome. you, you kind of get around together. And it's a lovely support network. It is, and, when, and, it's, and it's really different when you're actually in different countries, eh, and you get to hang out yeah. with, your, with your, you know, for me it's like with crew or other runners that I've done races with in, in some part of the world, and then, hey, we're now we're in the Sahara, oh, now we're in definitely, yeah. hey, yeah. cool to see you, and it's like, wow, look at us, here we are, you know, and yeah, it, it, yeah. Is, it is quite, and it does become a little bit of a club and a little bit of a um, yeah support network, I suppose. Do you get to take your 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 boy with you when you go on? Yeah, 
Wow, because that's yeah. Yeah, so um, he hasn't he hasn't come with me around Australia, but um, my husband and son are going to come with me to Asia, which is really exciting. Oh yeah. Um, because you know my son hasn't been to Asia before, and I can't wait awesome. to show him the whole stuff and you know see him experience things. And he's really funny too, which is great. He's nine, he's and he's started to understand that with me, uh, humor is a currency, which is a very bad lesson for him to learn. But, <laughs> If he's in trouble and he makes me laugh, like he knows he's got a bit of leeway. (laughs) (laughs) Classic, classic. Oh, you'd laugh at the the gig that I got offered a couple of days ago, and I thought this one was hilarious from a speaking agency over in uh, England and India. And they want me to go to Kiev (laughs) in the Ukraine and speak over there, perhaps. So I've been put forward as one of three, so I don't know if I've got the the gig or not. Wow. Uh, And I was thinking... Now, I've never, ever been asked to speak in the Ukraine, and I have no idea what I'll be walking into there, because that could be really, really interesting. So you, you just never know where you're going to end up when you're doing this no, sort of thing. Eh? And, and I don't want really to say to you, but my life is quite last minute, so yep. I can look at my diary and go, oh, God, I've got nothing in the next two months. Like, yep. And then suddenly the next week, oh, my God, I've got too much in the next two months. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. It's um, totally. And, and it's... Yep. it's it's a flood or it's a drought, eh? And yeah, yeah. Same with um, the, the, the whole income. It's a flood or a drought. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, like, I remember when my husband and I got together, he used to be a teacher, and he just could not get his head around the way my life oh, yeah. worked. Because he was like, but you don't know whether you're going to have any money next month. And I was like, yeah, but I've got some saved, and something will come up. Like, there'll be another gig, and then yeah. sure enough, you know, gigs would come in. But it is it just, like, I call it trusting in the universe. Like, you yeah. just trust that... If you do good work, you get good work. You know, like the, the more good work you do, the more good work you get. Being in business for yourself is such a uh, so yeah. many lessons that you have to learn. You never have yeah. that reliability. I've got the same issue with like my husband's a fireman, and you know he gets his regular check, and thank goodness he does because some months it's just you know absolute yeah. disaster as far as I'm concerned. And and I and I'm not that great yet at planning my whole year, knowing you know all the analytics and stuff that I should know. I get this many gigs, you know, this time yeah. of year and, and none at that time of year and to plan things through. And uh, I'm getting better at that as I get a team around me that are helping me do all yeah. those, those sort of stuff that I don't like. But you do fly by the seat of your pants, you know, yeah. um, really? constantly. And, and I wouldn't have it any other way. But, it, you know, it's it's also nice, you know, especially when I was a, a single and it, you know, then it was really a mum. <laughs> I ended up in mum's spare bedroom quite often. Yeah. <laughs> Can't afford the rent. Got to go home to mum. And that was and so I'm, inter- I'm interested in hearing from you. Like, what kept you going in those tough times? What was it that kept you going to your goal? I think I've been a I, – I, I'm an entrepreneurial personality type, and I really believe this is a type of person. I never, ever fitted in any other system. I, I and it wasn't because I was lazy. I was good at school. Uh, I, I did okay in the, you know, as a student and studying and stuff. But when I was put in the, the normal nine to five, and I worked for an insurance company for a starters, and then an accountancy. Oh my god! I just wanted to kill myself. I was so unhappy. You know, like every day I was physically ill because of these constraints that I and I just did not fit into that mold. And very early on, I was already trying to be an entrepreneur and failing miserably in my, you know, younger years. And, and I. I you know, did some crazy investments. I bought an ostrich once. That was really good. <laughs> <laughs> Lost a huge amount of money on bloody ostrich farming. 
but I learned, you know, things along the way, and I've had massive successes and massive failures. But it's a skill set. So I, I, I know that I will never ever be able to work for somebody else. I'm, uh-huh. I'm unemployable. I am totally, I'm totally driven. I'm, you know, I work my butt off to make it work. And I, I, and my mum's laughing here because she's going, yeah, man, this is just like the craziest ride you've ever been on. I know, it is, it is, yeah. <laughs> You don't, you don't know what's coming next, do you? No, and I still don't know what's coming next. And I, but I love that. I live on adrenaline. You know, uh-huh. uh, it, you know, type of person who's, a, who's an activator. I, I love to to have that uncertainty and that risk. I'm, I, I take big risks. And I fall on my face quite regularly, but I just get up again and I keep going. And so that that makes you really. It, it can be hugely successful, and you can have huge failures. Um, and, and it's been so nice to actually, you know, now that I'm married and I've been with my husband for five years, he's the calming force, the stability. He's the exact yep. opposite to me. He does everything methodically and slow, whereas I'm off on a million projects. He can't, you know, he has no idea what projects I've got going on half the time because there's just so many things. And, it, and I talk at 90 miles an hour and he doesn't get half of it. And he just looks at me like, oh, my God, you know. <laughs> um, and I've never actually had a guy that could cope with that before yeah um and i've been very very lucky and it, it isn't easy i mean mum would tell you it's pretty hard to cope with i mean last week i went and bought a two-bedroom apartment in queenstown i hadn't even told my husband i just signed a deal and went home and said honey we've just bought an investment property and but, but trust me it was a good move you know and he's like okay love what do you mean you know and and that's the sort of bloke he is, and um, I, I'm so lucky that I've got that stability now. And I, yeah. I didn't have that for many, many years, and so it was hand-to-mouth for a long, long time. And because I was focused on getting to the next race, that's all I met, that's all I cared about, was my, my sporting career. And now, you know, I'm trying to build uh, business and, and, you know, look after and be a responsible adult and actually pay a mortgage and, you know, and actually make money and look after my parents and things like that. Um, my, my whole focus has now changed away yeah. from the, the, the running side of it, which is a cool transition. I'm, I'm enjoying that. And I'm excited about all the opportunities that I get because I never know from one day to the next what email, what exciting email I'm yeah, going to get today yeah. with some crazy offer to speak in Kiev or uh, I don't yeah. know. You know, there's, there's things coming at you and you will have that, that, that experience, I, I imagine, too, and that total uncertainty but that excitement as well yeah and i feel that like because my background is in improv there's there's rules in improv and one of them is say yes so like if someone gives you an offer in a scene and they say oh look there's an elephant you don't go no there's not like you go oh yes it's wearing a hat you know like so you you build on the offer or whatever and it's the same thing that i keep reminding myself of is that when someone offers you something you go yes like you go like because my um, i can get you in trouble lady yeah, totally. But my impulse is always to go, oh, that sounds scary. No, kind of thing. But, but to remind myself that no, great things happen. And um, yeah, if you say yes to things, you, you push yourself outside. Amazing places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes you're, you're in the middle of it going, what the hell was I thinking? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, even if it's a disaster, at the end of it, you've got a great war story. You know, you've got, a, you've got um, something that you can learn from. You've probably shared it with someone else, hopefully, that was there for the. You yeah. know the horrendousness that that happened, or the amazingness that happened. Yeah, so it's either uh, you're either winning or you're learning. I think that's a really yeah, good way. Yeah, right yeah. Way to put it. 
and yeah. the older I get, the hope I'm more. It's, I'm hoping it's going to be more about the winning than the learning. I think I've, you know, I've got all that that character stuff done now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've done enough character building. I've done enough character building. I don't need any more of that crap. Thank you very much. Quite nice to do here finding this, and I'm finding this like I'm I'm 47 now. It's that, it's that I really like talking to younger performers and comedians and being able to go, oh, I actually know some shit. Like I can, I can help you out. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay, and I really love what I also love, and I think again this comes from an improv background where um, stand up is a really selfish art. It's about you getting a joke and you, as a solo person, um, being in control of what's happening. And improv is usually you and two or three other people, and you build a scene together, and it doesn't matter who gets the laugh as long as the scene is served and as long as the end result is something funny and lovely. And so I really love collaboration, and I it took me a wee while to learn it, but collaboration is the best thing. Like, you know, if I can give someone else a joke, like if someone comes off stage and they've had two really great jokes about a topic and I can go, hey, uh, why don't you try that as well? And I can give them another joke. I get so much enjoyment out of that. Yeah. I love looking over other people's stuff and going, oh, maybe you could do that or maybe you could try this. You know, like I really enjoy that. Yeah, coaching um, and mentoring basically because you've got yeah, all the Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And like I've been working with this fantastic woman called Holly Ransom who's a speaker and entrepreneur and, it's been really fun working with her and going, she's got all these amazing, amazing uh, in, uh, insights and, and experiences and everything, and to be able to go, you can stick a gag in there. You know, like that's it's really... <laughs> I'll have to bring my stone to you and get you to put a few gags in mine. Yeah, cool, totally. And, and like Holly, like for me, like I get to hear what she talks about, and she's got some great things. Like the thing I really love with hers is like moving out of your comfort zone into your courage zone. So like doing stuff that scares you, and then your courage zone becomes your comfort zone, your comfort zone gets bigger and bigger, and then you get to move outside of that. And I find that really a really great way... Great analogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great way to look at it, isn't it? Yeah, feeding yeah. It, feeding the lion of courage and yeah. all that. I always say you've got the, the snake who's like, you've got the snake and the lion and they're sitting on your shoulders and the lion's full of courage and strength and positivity and the, the snake's telling you you can't do it and he's negative yeah. and what's going to happen and and you've got to feed the, the lion of courage always. You know, feed him yeah, well and great. starve the other guy. Starve him. <laughs> Starve that snake and tell them to put yeah. it so that you can get on with it. Also to do like self-talk and stuff, like, it, it, I, you know, like I still have anxiety. I'm just wired to be an anxious person, which is, like, it sounds a bit bizarre given what I do is really risky. Uh, and people <laughs> no, no, go, how can you stand up and talk in front of so many people? It's like, well, I've got the microphone on charge. Like, um, But the one thing that really changed for me is that I would stand backstage and the 10 minutes before a gig were always the most painful and... Horrifying, horrifying things I'd be standing going oh what am I doing I might hate it I'd go awfully oh god oh, what am I doing this is the worst and then I'd get out there and I'd have a great time and at the end of it I'd be like oh, I love my job <laughs> and what changed it for me was um, oddly uh, an acupuncturist who I was talking to and he was like but aren't you all on the same side and I was like what do you mean he goes you, you, all, you all want you to be funny like you're all on the same team and I was like oh That's a good for some reason that totally just Change everything for me. Going, oh yeah, we all want me to be funny because if I'm not funny, it'd be awful for everyone. And like, you know, sometimes you get audiences that are assholes because they're yeah. drunk or, yeah. you know, they don't want to gig or whatever. But generally, everyone wants you to succeed. Like, everyone wants to have a good time, and they're not going to do that if you're awful. And so, rather than <laughs> rather That's than going, right. going, oh, oh, they hate their audience. Like, no, no, they're all there going, come on. Like, it's it's kind of like. Rather than a combative thing now, I feel it as a, like, come with me, come with me. That's, oh, awesome. I, that's, a, that's a perception shift that's just so powerful. 
I talk yeah. about something called like, you know, challenge versus threat. So when I'm like in a race and I'm looking at a race and I'm absolutely panicking about it and I'm terrified and I, what I try to do is to stop looking at it as a threat to my welfare because that's what, if I'm feeling threatened by something, then I'm liable to have physiological responses that aren't going to be conducive to me performing well and then I'm going to not, you know, do so well. Whereas if I can turn it around and make it into a challenge and an opportunity, then my whole perception shifts uh, to being yeah. one of, of excitement and anticipation rather than fear and negativity of what could yeah. go wrong. I'm looking at what could go right and what an exciting opportunity. And it's not always an easy thing, but being aware of that perception shift, uh, you yeah. know, before you go into a, a race or you get up on stage or whatever and go, this is an opportunity. There's somebody in this audience that needs to hear what I need to say today. You yeah. know, and turning it around, that's something else that I really love to do. I, I, I think about the audience and I think about there's one person in here that really, really needs this message. And I'm talking to that one yeah. person. I'm not talking that to the other 99 who don't care. I'm talking to that person. And, that's, and that changes the whole perception in your, in your head. And it becomes more of a one-on-one, -on -one, even though you're talking to a big crowd. You yeah. know that there's some, there's some little heart out there that really needed to hear what you had to say today. And that yeah. doesn't matter if they don't, the rest don't. Yeah, and even if it's just seeing you up on stage being amazing, and if that makes that person go, oh, you're like me, I could do that. You know, like, mm. I remember um, a friend of mine uh, who's Lebanese-Australian, and uh, a friend said to her that his little daughter, who's from Pakistan, had said to her dad, I didn't know that brown girls could do that. Like, <laughs> after she saw oh. my friend on stage, yeah. and my friend found that so... Moving, that's amazing. So that little girl now knows that that's an option. Like yeah. that, you can get up and be, you yeah. know, like how exciting and wonderful. Like the more diversity there is, the better it is for everyone. Yeah, and the more that we lift up uh, what is possible for women in general, or for people in general, you know, the more that, that people can aspire to, to stuff. I mean, when I was a young girl, I heard about Sandy Barwick, who was an incredible runner who ran like thousands of kilometers so she would do a 2,000 kilometer race around a one kilometer wow. one mile thing in, in New York and I, and I read about her and I read her books and I realized that people for a start could do these extreme things which I thought were impossible and then a woman could do these extreme things and then yeah, a TV yeah. woman could do these extreme things and you know later on I got to meet her and become friends and she came with me to oh, get wow. but that opened my eyes as to what was actually possible yeah. Instead of like the um, in the in the running world, it's a joke. But back in the in the sixties, they wouldn't let women run the marathon because they thought our, our uterus would fall out. <laughs> Seriously, they thought your yeah, uterus wow. would fall out, and that was their that was their argument as to why women were not allowed to run the marathon. And then uh, a lady, Catherine Switzer, incredible woman. Oh um, yes, she she entered as just under her initials, so they didn't recognise her as being a, a woman. And then she was in the Boston Marathon, and famously. Uh, three quarters of the way through the race, the race director came and physically tried to remove yeah, right. her from the race, yeah. pushed her out, and her big burly boyfriend knocked him out. And that was caught on film. And that was the beginning of the discussion around women in marathons and were they allowed. And then within 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 you know ten fifteen years, we were running thousands of kilometres, and our uterus yeah. still haven't fallen out. <laughs> you know, it's hilarious. Well, if you just wear tight leggings as well, that should help too. Yeah, right? Keep it in. Yeah. <laughs> Although I, I was, 
heads to the one size two smaller, so at least you that help. Although I was with a, a friend of mine who's a midwife the other day, and she says it does weaken the pelvic floor, so maybe they were right. Yeah. And so that may be wow. where the little leakages come from. You don't know. You might be running too much. <laughs> I said, just do some more of those pelvic floor exercises and you'll be right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hilarious. Hey, look, Cal, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been an oh, absolute um, hilarious and fun and a real insight for me. And I, I, I would love to talk to you at, yeah, at right. some stage about getting me some some. Fun, Lightening my, my speech a little so I'm not so yeah, intense. And you can tell me how to um, keep running because as soon as it's pleasant, I stop. I need to keep going. I need to get fit. You got a deal, mate. You got a deal. That would be awesome. Mum, have you got anything else that you want to add to the conversation here today? What do you think about Cal? I think she's awesome. She is awesome. <laughs> I think you're awesome as well. <laughs> Mother has spoken. You're awesome. That's all you need to know. <laughs> do you want to run faster, further without pain and injuries? Do you want to learn how to maximize your limited training time to get the most out of yourself? If you want a PB at your next ultra marathon or you just want to run your very first kilometer, then we can help you get there using our holistic five pillars approach. Our system includes all the pieces of the training puzzle from strength and conditioning to mobility workouts to nutrition and supplementation and a big piece of the puzzle is mindset and motivation as well, of course, as your run sessions and your technique drills. To find out more, download our free online run training e-course at runninghotcoaching.com. That's it for this episode of Pushing the Limits with your host, Lisa Tamati. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe and share all this goodness with your networks so we can impact more lives with positive insights and inspiring conversations. And check us out online at www.lisatamati.co.nz.